Welcome to Nomad Yarners, the yarn truck podcast. We're Erica and Dave, a husband and wife mobile yarn shop owners, bringing you tales from the road, adventures in fiber arts with a little bit of the rest of life thrown in. This is episode 103, recorded the week of... We don't know anymore. April 23rd, 2020. <laughs> Today's ex- episodes include all the kitchen things, kitchen forever. I promise there will be fiber arts involved. Sit back, get comfy, and enjoy the show. <laughs> I feel like we're pulling apart the scene already. <laughs> uh, isn't everyone? Um, so this week we are still on our cabin fever ideas, but we thought we would be kitchen kitchen centric um, as we've been doing a lot of various kitchen things from art to craft to cooking. So we thought we'd take you to one room of our home today. That's clean right now because we've been kid free this afternoon for a little bit. It's true. It's true. Um, no, nothing sticky for for once. <sighs> it helps not having the source of stickiness. Yeah. I swear, like children under five just generate sticky. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erica, what is your cabin fever idea this week? Well, idea one of two is to do some cooking with foraged foods. Um, I have done two different foraging experiments. Well, I actually started a third one, but then I lost motivation halfway through and put, <laughs> put the stuff back in the compost. Um, but I have ideas for a, uh, another one. Um, so if you either have a yard that has things growing in it or have access to some, some park space um, or, or just ability to go outside, there is a lot of information about foraging edible foodstuffs that you may, may see, um, even in the most like citified place. I don't know if that's a word as in of the city. Civilized. Um, we're quite civilized, even though we're in the country. Um, anyway, the foraging of wild foods that I did, my caveat is going to be, please know what you're doing and don't poison yourself and then say it was my fault. Um, and but... a couple of other foraging tips, cause I actually, uh, back in the UK I used to do, um, some foraging as part of a food group that I ran, um, suggestions for foraging, make sure the places you're foraging are away from traffic. Um, it's a really good thing to make sure that your uh, foods that you're foraging are not right next to smog uh, coming out of cars. All the other stuff that gets chucked up there. Um, make sure that the area you're foraging from is not like a public lawn or a neighbor's lawn. Um, even if you have permission, you don't know what chemicals they put on there. Um, a lot of these pesticides that they could have put on to, to treat the lawns are not great for you. And then if you're um, walking along even just like a, a public path where it's fairly wild, make sure you kind of retreat a little bit further back into the hedgerow so a passing dog walkers haven't let their dog um, excrete various things <laughs> upon your food. And we're lucky that we have three acres here, um, so we're able to kind of pick from our own lawns and hedgerows that we know have not been treated with anything. But if you are not lucky like us, um, and don't have the space, do make sure you're picking from somewhere safe. Okay, end of PSA. Anyway, so the two foods that I have thus far done kitchen foraging projects with are dandelions. 
I absolutely know what those look like, and I'm not going to mistake them for something else. <laughs> um, and wild violets, which are entire, we don't spray anything on our yard, including water. Um, and so we don't have a lot of grass. We have a lot of random wild things growing in it. Um, and our yard right now, it's not green, it's blue from all the violets. Um, our, our whole yard is full of violets. And I think it's very beautiful, um, but they are also very easy to, to tell. They look really distinctive. Um, so both of these, I was inspired by Paige, the owner of the Good For You Yarn Company. Um, she's based in Indianapolis. Um, she made some wild violet jelly, like jam, um, but without the bits in. Um, and I was so excited. I wanted to try it too. I'm very easy to influence. Um, and so I fell down looking for a recipe to make my own. I fell down the rabbit hole and discovered that you could make it out of dandelions as well. So I, um, I did both. Um, and all you do is pick the flower heads. Um, so you don't want the green parts. You just want the flowers, um, with the wild violets. I left the little tiny bit of green, so I didn't get any of the stem, but there's like the little green, I'm sure there's a word for it. Um, like cup that the flower sits in um, there's just like a little hint of green at the bottom um, for the wild violets I just left that on there for the it's called a calyx I believe okay um, for the dandelions the internet was very clear don't just use the whole head of the dandelion where you pinch it off the stem actually like take a pair of scissors or kitchen shears and trim off just the um, like the yellow part of the flower so not the the green part underneath that of the dandelions dandelion foliage is kind of bitter you can use it almost like chicory uh, you can actually like saute it, it and yeah um but i did that i had the kids help me pick dandelions because they like to do that anyway and then while they were in the tub i sat on the floor at, with a pair of kitchen shears and cut the all of the yellow parts out of the dandelions <laughs> dave thought i had lost my mind i hadn't told him what i was doing ahead of time um he just walked into the bathroom and there i was sitting on the floor chopping up dandelion flower heads um <laughs> it's what day 40 of isolation or something i, I think we're doing pretty well <laughs> um we uh so then you take the flower heads and you create a tea with them basically you pour boiling water on top of it and let it set overnight um i kept the dandelions and the violets separate from each other i just put them in mason jars and then filled the mason jar up with hot water um, and let them set overnight and the next day i strained out the flower petals um and i'll link i'll put a link to the um the recipes that i used you basically you add a bunch of sugar some pectin get them to the gel point with a candy thermometer um uh, and then can them um and neither one of them gelled uh, i'm very new to jelly making as in this is the first time that i'd ever done it ever oh there's lemon juice involved in there too so you dump like a quarter of a cup of lemon juice and i think it was it was like four cups of sugar to three cups of the tea that you used um and so i'd never made jelly before i had very rarely made jam and it's been oh it's been a while since i've even made jam so I don't have much practice using pectin. I have almost no practice making, I, I have zero practice making jelly. That's like the, the very, very light colored or clear jam with no bits in it. Um, so it didn't gel, but it tastes good. So we'll use it to make like flavor tea and almost use it like a honey, um, like a florally kind of honey. I think it'll still be good on toast. Right. The violet one isn't, doesn't look like water. Like it's, it's definitely got some viscosity to it. It might set up a little bit more as it, as it sits. It can gel a little bit more. Yeah. I'm okay. thinking that'll be really good with just some really salty goat's cheese. 
Oh, Maybe a little touch of bacon and then that kind of floral flavor to it. So it was, they were good. <laughs> um, the dandelion one is a pretty yellow color. Um, it looks very slightly of wee, but I try not to think about that. Um, and We've been potty training our son this week, so that's on the it. forefront of our mind. <laughs> um, we may even be done potty training our son. That feels like oh, it's jinxing it. it. He has been dry for like 36 hours, I think. Um, this was way better than with the first kid. The first kid, I swear, if I would have known how hard potty training was, we would not have had a second child. Rowan is a lot more food orientated than than Poppy is. So you, you can you can compel him to do almost anything if you tell him he gets a treat at the end of it. <laughs> Um, so that actually I did an, I made another um, food based creation because of that he likes he calls them Boompaw's power bars my dad is Boompaw and he eats power bars and the, the two and a half year old likes the power bars a lot well I bought him one packet of like kid specific I think they were Lara bars um, and he the two and a half year old figured out how to game the system pretty quickly where you do a little tiny bit of pee and then you get a treat and then literally the minute you finish eating the treat, you go back in the bathroom and do a little bit more pee and then you come back and get another treat. So he ate six power bars in a day and a half. Um, and Our kids are too clever. Yeah, so I decided I would make him some that I didn't care if he ate 5,000 up in a day. And so I made chocolate like protein bars from a recipe that I can also uh, put a link in um, out of uh, black beans and sweet potatoes and like cocoa powder and chocolate chips and there was some other stuff in there too. But it was really good. Even Dave likes them, I think. They're pretty good. Yeah, they were they were very tasty. You'll hear more about the black beans and their fate in it's Erica's true. next segment. Um, I used I, all aspects of the black bean. No part of this this black bean animal went to waste. Um, <laughs> 40 days in the house. <laughs> I swear we haven't even been drinking yet. Uh, um, it's been a lot of quarantinis. <laughs> it's been a lot more corn whinies and corn beeries. Um, uh, I've completely lost track of where I was. So forage some food. Um, I also I was going to do pickled dandelion buds, which you're you're supposed to be able to make them taste like capers. Um, you pick them like way before they even like get anywhere near ready to open. You like go to the very base of the plant and pick these little tiny pea like hard things that will turn into the dandelion flowers. Um, I found a recipe to, to pickle those so they would be like capers. I picked a bunch of them while I was watching the kids play outside. And then I just, I didn't, <laughs> they went back in the compost and go outside. You left them on the countertop to wilt for a day or two. Yeah, that's the Erica style. Um, but I put them in the compost all by myself. I didn't make you do it. Um, so that's, uh, the other project that I would like to try is there seems to be a bumper crop of garlic mustard this year and it's all in flower right now so it's really easy to spot it's got I white just, flowers on top I just saw today they can no longer sell it in Indiana it's illegal because it's so invasive okay um well I have heard good things about the taste of a pesto made with garlic mustard um like foliage and we have lots of it so We'll see if I um, if I'm inspired to to give that a try. I traditionally have not had good luck making pesto of any variety, even from basil. Um, so I we'll see, uh, but it could be good. Okay. All right, and Dave, what's the first thing you're going to talk about in the kitchen? I'm going to sneak in a plug on my first one. Um, so get creative with kitchen crafts. Um, 
I actually want to talk about a, something that we've been we've been playing with. This is a secret special plug. Um, we have been working in the background to introduce a brand new Nomad thing um, that we will be unveiling in about a week and a half's time. Um, but the my first um, summer yarn is coming out this week. It's called Gelato, and I was inspired by the colors of food. Um, it, we're Specifically actually sat, of ice cream, yeah. We're, ice cream. The, um, the whole table in front of us is completely covered in this yarn. It's all wound up into skeins, and the labels arrived yesterday in the mail. So I'm getting ready to label that, and it's in eight colors. It's a cotton rayon blend, and it's available for purchase now on our online store. Um, and it's so, shiny. It's pretty. It's got some natural sheen to it. It doesn't have, like, sparkle in it. Um, it's just got that sheen. Of... Yeah, the, uh, that 50% or 48% rayon is really, really iridescent. So um, rayon is it kind of a natural fiber. It's a very heavily processed cellulose fiber. Um, so it's plant-based. Um, and it's it's super super shiny, um, so the cotton will give it a bit more kind of structure and stop it flowing for forever, which rayon will do on its own, um, and then the rayon gives it that beautiful iridescence. Um, so I named those after ice cream colors, and I wanted to inspire you to think about um, the food you're eating and the colors. And um, I know a lot of us are stuck at home, and it's very tempting to eat and yet the twelfth bag of chips. I'm kind of guilty of that. Um, but to, we're talking about being creative in the kitchen. Be creative with color and be inspired by the food that you're eating, um, be it ice cream or black beans, which Eric is going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so based upon that, um, we have coming up, I have dyed currently one skein of a very special colorway of gelato. Um, it's called Tutti Frutti. Um, I will be showing you um, that skein tomorrow on our Facebook Live for everyone there to give another quick plug. And this is going to be part of a new um, thing that we're going to be launching that will be beyond this month um, and working with a bunch of other cool businesses um, in Indiana. So be inspired by food. I'm also going to be doing um, some other food-based, ice cream-based art around this as well. So, yeah, he did some really cool graphic design um, that I, I liked a lot. Was that too much? Were you not going to share that? No, I was. Okay. So, <laughs> um, be expecting some cool new stuff soon. We'll talk about all about that on the next podcast, um, and you'll be seeing uh, the skein tomorrow, which I'm very, very pleased with. Yeah, but I think Dave quite enjoyed playing with, and we don't have any fancy graphic design software on our computer. I think he did it in like paint um, and PowerPoint and stuff. So if, if you enjoy being creative in that way, um, give yourself an evening to, to play and, and do that. Um, or I really like watercolors. Our kids are kind of into watercolors right now. Um, and I think you can make pretty, um, pretty just nice looking art um, with watercolors, even if you don't have a lot of painting skills like I do not. Um, put on some Bob Ross in the background, go nuts with some watercolors. I know that was not his medium that he is, but you can still take inspiration. Okay. So where have you been the rest of the week? Uh, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to have to come back to this next week because I haven't finished this project, um, which is what they'll put on my tombstone. Um, and Next week it will have been continued. I used black beans. 
um, to start dyeing some yarn. Um, this is just a single skein that I'm doing for me because I want to see what happens um, rather than one that will be for sale. But um, I'm excited. We I've known for a long time. I played with natural dyes and actually did a line, a very, very small line of natural dyed yarns that we had in the shop. Um, I mean, this was before either kid was born. So this was five or Can six years ago. Did you do a line ago. of natural dyed yarns in the shop? I did. That was absolutely me. That was not you. So it was on my radar from doing some natural dyes a long time ago that you could dye yarn with black beans. Um, and I thought it sounded cool then, and I just didn't ever get around to it. Um, partially because it was we were not eating enough black beans to uh, generate the amount of black bean material that would be needed to do a large amount of this. Um, so I think this is more of a, like a single skein kind of project, unless your household just eats a massive amount of black beans. Um, and we eat quite a massive amount of black beans. <laughs> yeah, we just, we have we always... We eat a lot of beans as protein sources. Right. Um, we have always done them from cans before, um, but as we're trying to, as we're going further down the, the very low waste avenue, um, we've done a lot more dry beans. Um, I've never had a lot of luck cooking dry beans, but I'm getting better. We think we've, we've got the method down. We've both been trying it out, and I think we've we've cracked the code. Yep. Um, but what you actually use for your dye material, um, if you have ever cooked dried beans, you are often recommended to soak them overnight before you start cooking them. And then you get, for if you're doing black beans, then in the morning when you go, you drain the water off of the beans that you soaked them in and add fresh water to do the cooking part. Well, if you pour that water down the sink, you will notice that it's black. Um, the Some part of the black bean has leached out into the water and turned the water black. That is the dye that you want. Um, so it is using a waste product from cooking black beans. So you absolutely cook the, and eat the beans afterwards. Your beans do not come into contact with yarn or any other element of this in any way. Unless you're really clumsy. Um, it is just the, um, it's just the byproduct that you normally would tip down the sink. Um, so I poured it when I was making the black beans to make the black bean and sweet potato power bars for the potty training. It's a very convoluted, um, <laughs> project. Um, when I was ready to cook them, I poured the, um, I poured the black beans through a strainer to strain out the liquid into a mason jar and stuck it in the fridge. Um, and two days later I was ready to, um, not because it needed to set in the fridge for two days, but because it was two days before I had a chance to do it. Um, I was ready to use that to dye a skein of yarn. So Dave grabbed me a skein from the dye studio that he thought would work well. This pretty much any natural dye works better on protein fibers than on cellulose or acrylic fibers. Um, cellulose being plants. So generally it works better on wool than on cotton. Um, and so you need to use what's called a mordant, which basically means a, a chemical of some sort that will make your dye stick better to the yarn so that it makes your natural dye more water and light safe um, so that it doesn't fade out or change color over time. It effectively works as a chemical bridge between the chromophore the, the dye molecule um, and the the yarn itself. So a lot of the protein, a lot of the natural dyes are not very reactive with the protein itself. You need something in there to actually like act as a bridging molecule. It's kind of think of it like a a, a bridging molecule or, or almost like sticky tape or glue. Yep. 
Um, so from back in the day when I was doing this, um, in the shop and I mean, I had like 30 skeins of it. I didn't ever do a lot. Um, but because I'm me and I do not do anything halfway, I ordered like 40 pounds of alum or some stupid amount of alum, um, which is a common mordant that works for a lot of different natural dyes. And it's a white powder. It looks sort of like sugar or salt. Um, uh, and you can actually buy it in teeny tiny jars in the spice aisle at the grocery store generally. Um, but if you're going to be using a lot of it, that gets incredibly expensive incredibly quickly. Plus you have a million little tiny plastic bottles of it. Um, so this is sort of a food safe, um, mordant. And you can get um, this mordant, just go to the grocery store if you're only going to do one. It, yeah, one one um, yeah, you don't, don't buy 40, 40 pounds. You use um, it to keep pickles crisp. Um, yeah. is what you'll find it in there. And you usually use like a teaspoon per like gallon of pickles. Yeah. So it is technically food safe. So it's a little, and the black bean juice is definitely food safe. Um, so this is a dye technique where theoretically you can use the pots and pans in your kitchen already. Um, there's a little bit of talk about how maybe alum isn't great, but I mean, people have been eating it in pickles for a long time. So that is up to you, your decision about that. But you can purchase it in the spice aisle and use in, and recipes call for it in pickles. So you've probably eaten some alum in your life. Um, the, so what I'm doing right to this minute, and you may hear a beep in, in a second, um, you dissolve 10% by weight of the alum compared to the dry weight of this yarn or fabric that you are going to be dyeing. So I am dyeing 100 gram skein of yarn, which is a standard skein sized. Um, and so it's a pre-prepared worsted white merino, if anyone cares. Yeah. 10% of 100 grams is 10 grams. I like easy math. Um, I'm really hoping I did that right. You did do that right. At me like I'm crazy. <laughs> um, so I weighed out 10 grams of alum. Um, Dave has super uh, accurate scales with his in his dye studio, so that was easy. Um, you dissolve that in enough hot water to cover your skein. So I filled the saucepan halfway up, um, dumped the alum in, stirred it up so that it was fully dissolved in the hot liquid. Um, and then I took my skein of yarn. I got it wet. I just ran it under the, the water in the sink to get it wet. Um, and then I dropped it in the uh, hot water full of alum and I swished it around and stirred it up uh, so that the alum was evenly distributed or the alum water was easily distributed. Um, and then you put it on the lowest setting your stove will do to let it, you don't want it to be boiling because water plus agitation is what makes felt. Um, and boiling hot water makes felt especially quickly. Um, so you want it to be still. Uh, so the lowest, lowest setting that your stove will go on. So then it's hot, um, but not actually boiling. Um, and you let it do that for 45 minutes. And then you turn it off, let it cool down to the point where you can handle the skein, wring the water out of it, and drop it in the bean juice. Um, and let it sit for a day or two. Uh, pull it out occasionally and see what color it looks like. When you're happy with the color, take it out, rinse it out, and you're done. And you could do this in different ways. So there's different ways of adding the mordant to the skein. So Eric is using a pre-mordanting method, and that's a really good way of getting a very consistent color all the way through. Um, so if you want like a, a semi-solid looking skein, that is what you'll do. Um, you can also um, add the mordant directly into the dye solution um, and kind of stir it up and heat gently there. Uh, that will give you a much more kind of patchy sort of kettle dye look. 
Um, the other thing you can do is um, actually kind of submerge the skein in the dye solution, then almost take it out and sprinkle the powdered mordant on the top. Um, and that will give you a really interesting kind of uh, patchy look as well. So as long as you get the mordant and the dye in there and, and some heat in some way, it's going to um, be able to adhere to the protein fiber. So you can play around with it and, and pick which way you want to do that. Yep, I will link to the tutorial that I am using from the internet. So that's why I picked that one, because that was the first tutorial that I read. <laughs> and her yarn looked pretty. It's kind of a bluey-greeny color, and it looks like if you add some alkaline, like baking soda, um, it turns more green. Um, I will probably leave it in its natural state and see what unmessed around with looks like. Goodbye. And I just heard the beep that my, my mordant is done. So, Dave, why don't you take us to the next, uh, the next segment, and I'll be right back. Fourth and final. Okay, um, I wanted to talk about culinary road trips. Um, so, normally around this time of year, I head off to uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, north side of Chicago, to um, go to Adepticon, um, the big uh, miniatures uh, gaming convention up there. And, of course, we couldn't go. Everything's been cancelled, as I'm sure you're fed up of. Um, but I miss the cuisine. Um, Chicago food is a little bit different um, to a lot of the things we get in Indiana. I miss my Chicago hot dogs and my deep dish pizza, which is about the only time of year I eat those. Um, so I thought, why not go on a little culinary road trip? Um, so I found a, a deep dish pizza recipe um, on the internet. Um, and again, I think Eric will be linking um, to this. Here's a note, Eric, it's a link to that um, in the show notes. And really kind of wanted to give it a go. So we, um, we were... <laughs> We tend to buy things in bulk anyway, um, and uh, just as everything was locking down, I did go um, while everyone was going crazy at the regular supermarkets. I went to GFS, the like small restaurant supply, um, and picked up a bunch of things there. So we had giant cans of tomatoes and more pepperoni than you could ever use. Um, it's the kind of thing that we would buy occasionally anyway, um, but I got the mega pack of pepperoni, which I knew the kids would absolutely love. Um, so we got some uh, some local Italian sausage as well from uh, the Real Food Shop who are um, still doing occasional um, runs. Um, Tabitha is opening up once a week to get us um, some kind of meat and dairy and small items that she can get. Yeah, and she's putting that up on her Facebook and Instagram account. It's the Real Food Shop with an extra P and E at the end. Um, she puts up pictures of what she was able to get delivered that week, and then you can call and place your order, and she'll do curbside pickup. And that was the only thing we needed to um, dig deep and do a deep dish. Um, so uh, I, I selected a recipe. Just Basically, I needed to know what the crust was. And if you are used to making bread and, and pizza dough, um, the Chicago crust is a little bit unusual. It's uh, a crust that I never really made before. And I would encourage you, if you want to make a pizza, uh, give it a go. You basically make a regular bread dough, but then you enrich it with a bunch of um, oil and butter, um, of course, just to make it extra good. And then when it's about halfway through proving, you take it out, take some more butter, smear it all over that darn thing um, and then roll it back up again and let it prove a little bit more and it gives you a texture that's um, that has some kind of crispness and layers to it because that butter as it cooks melts between the layers and you already have an enriched dough which is going to be crisper 
So it almost has a little bit of that kind of puff pastry kind of feel to it. At the, at the edge, it has a little bit of extra extra crunch. So once the dough had proved, I went on to constructing the behemoth. We have a couple of springform cake tins, and I used the really large, uh, like 14-inch cake tin. Um, it's, a, it's a big one. Um, and you essentially um, roll the dough out almost like you're doing a pie crust. And you actually almost blind bake it um, like you would a, a, a pie crust. You don't actually put any weight in the bottom because you want it to rise, but that actually helps um, stop the sauce and everything soaking into the base. Take it out, absolutely pack it full of mozzarella cheese. We used some of that beautiful local Italian sausage, tons and tons of pepperoni and um, some canned tomatoes that I have on hand. I mix in some balsamic vinegar, a little bit of olive oil and a bunch of herbs and garlic. Top that off and then stuck in the oven for about another half an hour and out came it was really the, good. the craziest pizza pie that it i've ever made very, in my life very good um so this will be the first of our our road trips i think culinary road trips and it was fun i think we'll we'll have another go at doing some other regional foods in the next few weeks well i thought you were going to talk about our um like dip off I wasn't even going to talk about that, but we could because okay. we did actually do a bit of a culinary road, road trip to, I don't know. When, Middle Eastern-ish? Yeah, the hummus? maybe Turkey? Yeah, so Dave and I, I found a new recipe that I wanted to try. We had some zucchini that really wanted using, um, and so I Googled basically weird zucchini recipes, um, and I found one that I had not heard of before, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. It's, I think, Constian, C-O-N-C-I-A. It's apparently a roman jewish recipe like the evidence of it goes back to like 1550 or something um and it's basically uh, how did you improve this recipe Arthur? i'm i wasn't gonna talk about that i put bacon <laughs> in it because i'm a bad person um but the the gist of it is you uh slice zucchini thinly i used a mandolin um sprinkle it with salt let it sit for half an hour or something so the zucchini goes all floppy and extra moisture comes out of it um you rinse off all the salt um and then you uh, um saute it so i used baking grease um and but butter or oil would be fine as well um and then you dump it into a marinade with some vinegar and garlic and like soft herbs uh, we used cilantro um you could use dill cilantro um, and green onion right yeah um cilantro and green onion i feel like there might have been something else garlic lots of garlic um and you would just dump the um the sauteed super thin sliced um zucchini in there and let it set for a half hour to overnight however long you want to and it kind of breaks down a little bit and it gets all silky silky textured and it's a very it's very very strongly flavored um and it's just nice like you can use it almost like a baba ganoush um like a spread it's very similar yeah um i that made <laughs> probably we eat weirder really foods than normal people i'm not sure that baba ganoush is a super commonly eaten thing it's a very similar thing done with eggplant like spinach artichoke dip is a similar texture um yes uh, but this is more american but this is a much stronger flavor than that so you would use it like a like a spread or a dip like a hummus that's probably more relatable we also made some hummus too yep um canned chickpeas tahini 
some flavors. Dave made that one. Yeah, um, I use uh, fresh lemon zest, a little bit of lemon juice, uh, some um, some nice extra virgin olive oil, and then I like to put some smoked paprika. Um, some some coriander and cumin um, garlic and then a little bit of um, chili powder um, in mine to give it a little bit of extra kind of interest Um, we make hummus pretty often it's um, we've tried several ways and the canned chickpeas just seem to be the best we made this one kind of speedy but what I normally like to do is use the um, actually drain the chickpeas you can reserve the chickpea water for actually adding back in for some more kind of flavor and texture or you can save that it's called aquafaba and you can make whipped cream with it which is very weird and I may have to do it we may have to talk about that in another podcast but I normally roast the chickpeas, which gives it a little bit more of an interesting kind of earthy flavor to it. Uh, but I didn't have a chance this time. So it was not the best hummus, but it was pretty good. And then I made some balsamic onion jam, um, which is really easy. You just take a little bit of butter, um, saute a couple of, I used two onions for this one, um, just sweat it down until it's um just translucent add a bunch of balsamic vinegar stick it on low and then basically let it cook down for 45 minutes or so and you get a virtually black spread that's a lot of flavor but oh, we so good we did that with some ghost cheese um as our third dip and yes it's it pretty popular yep and then this was a great way to clear out all of the other um, sort of extraneous fruits and, or vegetables and like the three quarters eaten boxes of crackers. Um, so we had we get a produce box delivered every two weeks. Um, we try to get through all of the produce from the last time before the next one comes. So we had some bell peppers and some carrots that wanted using. Um, so we chopped those up to dip in it. And then we had some flatbreads. Yeah, from the international market. Yep, store-bought um, ones in the freezer um, that we just heated up in the microwave and then stuck under the griddle for a second. Um, and then the it, all of the ends of cracker boxes that we had <laughs> left over. Our kids eat a lot of crackers. That's almost their favorite thing to eat. Uh, so it, it was pretty easy to put together, and it was fun. It was fun for Dave and I to spend some time together in the kitchen. Okay, so should we go on to Where's Nomad this week? Sure. We're at your, your house. At your house, as normal. We're not going anywhere. Um, so, um, but we do have some new cool stuff. So we are um, doing a couple of, of different things coming up this week. So we are still doing our Tuesday evening crafting club, um, which has been um, continues to have a few people on it. Yeah, jump on and join us. Even if don't feel like you have to come for the whole hour, um, but but come on, show show us what you got. It so, doesn't have to be knitting or crocheting. It can be beading or painting your walls or, yeah, or whatever you want to do. Um, so that's an hour on every Tuesday night, uh, about seven, 7 p.m. Seven to eight. Um, we are doing our virtual classes on Wednesdays. We're actually switching this up and doing them every other week now, uh, just because I think they were getting a little bit much for people to keep up with if you wanted to take multiple classes. So every other week, um, we will be doing our virtual classes. We're letting people decide um, on a poll which one they want to take, and then we'll be shipping out the kits over the next... A week or so. Um, yep, so we're announcing what the class is going to be on a Monday or Tuesday, and then you'll have until the following Wednesday, so like nine or ten days, um, to sign up. And then one week after the sign-ups close is when the class will be. That way we, it has one week to get to you in the mail. 
Um, and this week's class, or this class in two weeks' time, is um, Erica's Diamondback Mitts uh, Lace Mitt Pattern. And we're using a skein of my brand new gelato. Um, so that is coming out very, very soon. And then uh, every Friday at 2 p.m., I do a virtual truck stop. Um, so come and join us then. Um, <coughs> that's where we show off all of our new stuff that's going on. We answer questions anybody has. We do a, a kind of quick tour about um, of what items we have in stock. Feature a couple of things. I'll be showing off some really cool new stuff this week and talking about um, something that will be coming up soon. So tune into that. Uh, we'll also, um, we have our online store, store.nomadyarnshop.com. Go and shop there, see what you can find. We're also on Etsy. You can find us Nomad Yarns on there. Nomad Original Patterns on Ravelry. We've got over 100 patterns on there. So lots of places to go. Um, we are still shipping our mystery boxes. So if you've not seen these yet, we have um, three different sizes of boxes in either knit or crochet. They're $25, $50, or $100. You get to pick to see how big a box you want to get uh, we'll make sure they are super value packed um full of all kinds of things so we send you um at least one thing of my own hand dyed yarn we will be sending you um some commercial yarn some notions um i put some silk scarves in a couple of them for my hand eyes some lotion bars all kinds of really cool stuff and the reason that they're knit or crochet specific is in case we put either knitting needles or crochet hooks in it uh, we try to make sure that we get a size that will work with one of the yarns that we're sending um if you don't um you can just say either um if if you don't care and things like stitch markers as well if i put stitch markers in for the crochet ones i'll make sure that they open so you can actually use them in your crochet project without being stuck forever um otherwise they're they're essentially the same i might try with the crochet ones to give yard, uh, yards that have really good yardage in just because crochet uses a little bit more um, yardage um but some cool things go in there including um i have been doing some more of my dye studio clear out and reorganizing today um because we've we keep selling more and more hand dyes and i need more space um and efficiency to do that um, so I dug out another box of, uh, cool samples and, um, kind of unique one-off skeins. So I'll be putting some of those in mystery boxes too. So there's some really cool colorways that I really like in there that we decided not to, um, add to ranges. So yeah, some really cool, interesting stuff goes in those boxes. Normally the colorways we decide not to add is when we pull everything out of his, um, when he does sample, the sample colorways, oftentimes it will end up being two that are too similar to each other. Um, and so we choose just one of those. Well, one or two that don't fit the, the range. I know we've spoke a few weeks ago about designing um, color ranges. So these these skeins are not um, ugly. Some of them are really pretty and I, um, I wish we'd uh, use the colors. I've kind of got notes of them to use them in the future. Um, but like the gelato that we're looking at now, you, everything is sort of a sort of a soft and light, airy, sort of springy, summery look. So if we, we'd had one that ended up being a really saturated jewel tone, it may not have sort of fit in the line, even though it's a fun color. Um, so yeah, those end up put in my box of um, future inspiration. Well, the box of future inspiration is being sent to you to inspire um, in various mystery boxes. So really cool stuff coming out in those, um, some other limited edition things um, as well. Um, some of our Christmas ornaments have gone out or holiday ornaments have gone out um, in some of them, some limited edition stitch markers that we've done for various events. Um, some really cool uh, Nomad swag that's not available anymore. Um, often the ones we kept for our personal use and then have decided that we forgot that we kept one. <laughs>
Okay, so enjoy your another week at home. Um, we will be let out again eventually. Sometimes. Stay there for now, please. Um, and uh, stay safe. Yep. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Ravelry, and our website, knowmyjarchup.com. And remember, in crafting and in life, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.